You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning, I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office, and I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our broadcast begins with a highlight from Catholic Chicago. Hosts Father Greg Sakowitz and Mark Teresi spent time talking with Pat Drott, the HIV-AIDS liaison for Catholic Charities. Let's listen in. Good morning, Pat. How are you? Good morning. My Cubs are doing great. Yes. Okay, we'd, we'd like to bring this segment to a close. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Pat. I'm sure this, 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 has been a very fast, this has been a very fast half hour. I knew you were going to say that because you are a huge, huge Cubs fan. But no, congratulations to your Cubbies and uh, brand new season for all of us. Now, yes. you and Rick moved into St. Mary of the Woods how many years ago? Uh, 49. Wow. Almost a half a century that's impossible. Oh. You're only 39 years old. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I met you and Rick and the kids uh, back in 1992, 28 years ago. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yeah. Going by yeah. fast. But Time now, listen, flies. you've been involved with this ministry of the Archdiocese for how many years now, Pat? Um, 18, 18 years. Already 18 years? Yes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And it, yes. now, again, maybe for some people, we can take this for granted. In knowing all the statistics and everything, but uh, what are the numbers we are talking about regarding HIV, AIDS? Well, um, the numbers, Greg, are, are uh, huge. Um, there are uh, over there are 38 million who are who have died from the disease, and we currently have almost that same number living with the disease. And that number increases as people are, you know, treated and put on antiviral. Antiretrovirus, mm-hmm. and of those thirty-six or thirty-seven million living with the disease, nineteen million are women. Um, every year, we have nearly two million new infections in this country. Every year, we have an estimated forty thousand new infections, and in Illinois, about fourteen hundred every year. And when you look at those numbers, almost twenty percent of those numbers do not know they have the infection. Hmm. And one out of every five new infections are with young people who are ages 13 to 24. That age bracket, wow. Mm -hmm. Pat, what happened 18 years ago that got you involved in this ministry? Well, um, I was uh, teaching in the School of Nursing at Loyola, and a student came to me, a young man, not a nursing student, and he told me that he was HIV positive and had AIDS. And he told me the painful story of how his entire family abandoned him. Oh, wow. And wow. Um, I, I was in tears. And he said that he wanted people on campus. He was not afraid to be known as HIV positive. He wanted people on campus to know about HIV AIDS. And to do something about it, he was an activist, and his passion was so great that I, his passion became my passion. Wow. It's because that young man came to you. Now, I have to ask uh-huh. this question, uh, Pat, and that is, this whole outbreak in this country, 
Does this go back to the 80s or the 90s? I'm trying to put a timeline on this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The early 80s. In mm-hmm. the early 80s. Now, I'm just trying to just get my arms around this. When it broke out in this country, there was such an incredible scare that, you know, you heard about someone with HIV, and I know families that have been, like that young man, families abandoned someone. I almost liken it to, but in a completely different way, the coronavirus, where mm-hmm. with HIV, people were running scared and didn't, couldn't quite know what this was about, but they were afraid. You know, with the coronavirus, the coronavirus is also very, very deadly. So can you make a, a, like a correlation between the two? Because in the early 80s, this was a tremendous scare. You know, coronavirus, this is nothing to be taken lightly. I think a couple of parallels, Greg. One, um, they were both so unknown at the time. We did not know much about uh, either infection at all. You know, and as the pandemic progressed uh, more, information um, we're learning, you know, and there's uh, research going on and that sort of thing. And I think um, it scared um, people tremendously in the 80s because they didn't really know how it was transmitted. As with this pandemic, you know, we're learning more and more about transmission and such. And that's a natural reaction. People are frightened of it. Uh, With Mm -hmm. AIDS and HIV, there is a stigma that still accompanies the disease. And even now... Let me ask you, Pat, what is the stigma among many people? In terms of HIV, Mm -hmm. it still goes back to... uh, people blaming it on one group mm-hmm. and one group's behaviors. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's where the stigma is associated. Yeah, and still there and still there today. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and I would imagine, like, if we weren't talking to you today, I wouldn't have thought of this for a while, but years ago, a, a friend of ours who was actually a parish minister was dying of AIDS, and a whole community gathered around to care for him mm-hmm. and... Uh, but it wasn't really spoken about uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the church. Now, you're at Catholic Charities, and this is a mission and ministry, Catholic mm-hmm. Charities. Uh, explain that, and why the church is involved in this ministry. Well, everyone uh, of those persons who are have the diagnosis of HIV-AIDS, that's a soul, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, an individual soul, not a number. And I think in terms of the Church's mission uh, to embracing and ministering to the poor, the marginal, the vulnerable, with compassion and outreach, that's why the Church is involved. You know, there's, there's no question about it. We at Catholic Charities have been involved in this since the early 80s, since it started. You know, You've been involved with it the last 18 years yourself. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in this whole line, in fact, I'm just uh, looking at the clock right here. we got time here. And that is, you know, Pat, what are some of the myths or misconceptions about HIV-AIDS? Well, I think one of the, the biggest ones is that it's under control. If wow. you think about the numbers that I told you, you know, nearly 2 million new infections every year, that's not under control. And, but the myth and, out there is that this is now under control. Right, right, because you don't hear about it. You don't hear I was just going to say, you, you don't, all we hear about is the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We never mm-hmm. hear about HIV-AIDS. I mean, I haven't yeah, heard it, about it on the news in, in months. Or that yeah. there's a, you know, like there's an acquaintance of ours where he's on meds. Well, you think uh-huh. the meds mean everything is fine. Mm-hmm. 
and very fact that it's never that, brought up in the media. Or it's now gone. It, it mm-hmm. ran its course and it's gone. So give us another myth Which, about uh, HIV AIDS. Well, I think one of the other ones is that, um, uh, that if a person looks and feels healthy, even though they're HIV positive, they can, can't spread the disease. In fact, yes, they can spread the disease, even if they look and feel healthy, unless they're under treatment. So, you know, that's a, that's a fallacy. Another one is, is um, it, that it affects only the gay population. Mm-hmm. It affects everyone, young, old, men, women, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, transgendered, people of every educational, social, economic, and religious background. Now, Pat, what are some of the ways it can be transmitted? Because I know there were some myths flying 35 years ago about how it was transmitted. Well, it can be transmitted... Um, when uh, drugs or drug equipment are shared with the person who is positive, uh, it can be transmitted uh, through uh, sexual intercourse, oral, anal, or vaginal with the person who is positive. Um, it can be transmitted from mother to baby uh, during the pregnancy, during the birth, and after the birth through breast milk, although that situation has changed dramatically for the positive side because uh, pregnant women are tested, and if they are positive, they are placed on medication. So we have decreased that um, terrific, by terrific numbers. So those are primarily the way it, it is transmitted. I remember back it's in the 80s. Go ahead. It's not transmitted by the bite of an insect. It's not transmitted by um, uh, casual contact um, where you... Um, there's no evidence that it, it's contacted by using a utensil that someone who is positive. Is I remember in the or early 80s or 80s, you heard that it was mm-hmm. transmitted by a doorknob. Sure. Did I open the door? Or a toilet seat or yes. you know, a swimming pool, things like that. That's another myth. All of those are myths. I was fascinated with the idea that your first career is nursing. How, yes. does, how does that tie into this ministry? Well, um, I am first and foremost a public health nurse. Uh, I that was my field of practice. Um, I have a master's in public health nursing, and I taught public health nursing for a very long time. And my focus has always been infectious diseases. I did an awful lot of work in infectious diseases, especially tuberculosis, for many years. So it was a natural transition to um, HIV as an infectious disease. Um, half my life, my professional life, has been as a public health nurse in practice, and the other half has been as an educator. So the tie is absolutely direct in terms of what I am you know, doing now within this ministry. Now, as a Catholic, did you feel when you took this on it might be a bit controversial? Well, I suppose it, it, potentially that, that was there, and I have been asked the kind of question many, many times. Mm-hmm. And as a professional nurse, uh, I am uh, bound to give accurate information without, you know, but, and being absolutely objective. So I can talk about a condom, but not um, um, encourage it in, mm-hmm. in any way or suggest it. In fact, along you know, those, along those lines, uh, Pat, what kind of education is needed in this whole area? Well, I mean, the real facts, Greg, what it is, what it's not, what's, how it's transmitted, who is at risk, the myths and the misconceptions about it, risky behaviors, just common sense kinds of things. It's really facts. But I think and you hit on it earlier in the very fact that it's no longer talked about. In many people's mm-hmm. minds, it's over. And mm-hmm. nothing could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. 
I scour the papers all the time for the smidgen of news about nothing. It. As a matter of fact, nothing. You know, two years ago around World AIDS Day, I was ex- so thrilled because the Trib um, reporter Rex Hupke did a column on World AIDS Day, and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is fabulous. But you know, since then, a small clipping here or there, and that's nothing. all. So. Now it's interesting because during the break, our producer Mike came in and said, you know, one of the issues dealing with like Magic Johnson was diagnosed. Well, back lot, in the, about the nineties, I think. Yeah, a lot of publicity, but it's almost like, well, there's this medical silver bullet that people can be. How do you how do you um, compete with that kind of publicity, uh, where people are getting an image of here's somebody that has AIDS. But he looks like he's doing fine. And he's on meds and everything's fine. Well, uh, you know, that brought a lot of attention to the disease, um, you know, which is what was needed. Um, Magic Johnson got into treatment right away. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are afraid of going into treatment uh, or don't have the resources. They don't know where to turn. They're afraid to admit their diagnosis. Many people are afraid to even be tested for Mm -hmm. fear of the diagnosis. So, you know, it, it was a help and a hindrance in some ways. He also mm-hmm. had, I'm sure, the very best of medical care available to him, you know, at all times. Now, so, go ahead. No, I was getting, along these very, very lines is, I want to flip topics a little bit to give some attention to this, is you have a big, the annual AIDS walk run in Chicago. When does that happen, Pat? Well, it's happening actually all week, Greg. The, this uh, walk has been going on for, I don't know, 20 years. This is my 18th walk. I'm mm-hmm. doing it this year for the 18th time. And it is an annual event uh, all over the country and actually the world. But here in Chicago, the AIDS Foundation sponsors it. And um, it is it was scheduled and is still scheduled for this Saturday, October 3rd, uh, at Soldiers Field around Grant, in Grant Park, around Soldiers Field. But because of pandemic, the AIDS Foundation has uh, altered the venue, and there are going to be walks every day this week in five different neighborhoods. Today, there's one going on in Douglas Park, tomorrow in Uptown Lakeview, Wednesday in Dunbar Park, uh, on the first Thursday in the Loop, and on the second Friday in Washington Park and Hyde Park. Now, what if somebody wants to be part of this? Yeah, so that they're dispersing the group so there's not these thousands of people at Grant Park. They can be in a neighborhood close to their own home and do these walks, which are still part of the October 3rd walk uh, in Grant Park. So, now and I'm doing this. Go ahead. I'm doing a solo one because I'm an at-risk person, and my husband is too, and we are going to do it on the bike trail near our home, and mm-hmm. my husband, weather permitting, is going to wheel along with me in his wheelchair. Wonderful. Now, how yeah. where, how is how are funds collected, and where do the funds go? Well, there is a website. Uh, I am part of Team Catholic Charities. Different organizations and agencies register as teams, and we have a quota in terms of the number of team members and a dollar amount we have to raise. And uh, we solicit friends, family, neighbors, strangers, you know, donate, join us. Pat, you can ask Father Greg right now for his commitment. You can ask Mark for his commitment. (laughs) I might just do that, gentlemen. I think we both both will make a commitment. You definitely. Okay, we have till November 20th to make a donation. I will send you both my letters. That would be great. That would be great. And it begs just send two to Mark. No, send one to Father Craig. I'll double his contribution. I'll match his. (laughs) 
Our thanks to Pat and Catholic Charities for the much-needed ministry to those who live with HIV-AIDS. Our next highlight comes from a discussion with Dr. Mary Amore, the Executive Director of Maze Lake Ministries. Dr. Amore talked with Father Greg and Mark about needs and opportunities for people to seek spiritual direction during these turbulent times. Here's a highlight. Dr. Mary Amore, welcome to the program. How are you, Mary? Oh, fine, Father Greg. Hi, Mark. Hi, how are you? You are Uh, always pure energy, energy. (laughs) high octane. When you were in studio, uh, by the way, we miss seeing you in the studio. Yes, we do. I miss seeing you as well, really. It's been now over a half a year Mm -hmm. since we've had a guest in the studio. It's all telephone, which we totally understand. But, uh, you know, Mary, by phone, in studio, you bring such high energy. And how many years have you been the director now of Maze Lake? Um, 14. It'll be 15 years in January. Hard to believe. I remember the very first year, now going back in 15 years, you were our guest as you were the brand new director of Mays Lake Ministry, just getting your feet wet. And I can't believe 15 years later, and you are just as enthused and charged (laughs) up as you were back then, I guess, in 2005. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I know. You know what? It, the work that we do at Maze Lake Ministries, you know, it's constantly uh, evolving because, yeah. you know, as you said, you know, in today's world, it is, I mean, we're six months into this Pandemic. COVID-19 with no end in sight. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think people are really, really starting to get um, uh, even more anxious and more fearful, and you know, and and we're a leading center for spiritual direction, yeah. and so it, that's just a wonderful way for people to tap into God's presence, even in the midst of this. Um, See, here's here's the thing, Mary, you hit on the head. It's going into its seventh month in our country. In fact, more more months in other countries in the world. And I, the hard part for all of us is, if we knew <clears throat> there was an end date, October thirty first. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, you, you wait for that date, but this is ongoing. And my greatest fear is as the temperature gets colder, flu season starts, will this get worse? And then God forbid that we have closed down, you know, uh, stay at home in the colder months. Because mm-hmm. the first time we said, okay, remember when it, when it all closed down on March 14th? Right. And we thought we'd be open for Easter. Every back to normal by Easter. Remember the Holy Week will be fine in the cathedral and uh, the Triduum and all that. And all of a sudden, April, May, June, July, mm-hmm. August. We're now rolling into October. Now, it has gotten better, but unfortunately, I'm hearing the Midwest, other states, is beginning to spike again. Right. So it. Um, well, and Greg, as you said many times, 41 years of priesthood, you've never seen oh, anything oh, like Mark, this. Yeah. And there is no roadmap. No. And, Mary, so. Here's my thought. Thanksgiving's coming up. Christmas is coming up. Mm-hmm. People are anticipating holidays are going to look very different. How, how are you folks anticipating that and providing programming that will help people kind of keep your energy in terms of looking at this in at least a positive light for what it is? You know, Mark, you raise an excellent question because you're right. You know, as Father Greg said, when it first started, okay, first of all, it was springtime. So mm-hmm. we were looking forward to going out, outside. Yes, we got through that. And then, but now we're going into the fall and we're going into the high holiday season. And I know myself, I'm feeling it because mm-hmm. my, my son is in Boston and I haven't seen him since January. And I don't know when I'm going to see right. him. Right. Um, so people are, they're grieving. They're grieving being isolated from their families um, and and the whole 
joy that we all savor when we get together for holidays and stuff. And so the spiritual direction is absolutely, I would think, key at this point um, to helping people not lose hope, um, to not fall into despair, to realize that this is a moment for all of us of self-sacrifice. I mean, Jesus sacrificed his life for us. This is a moment for anyone who believes in him to, to really take up that cross, as he says, and to follow me. And so to be able to, um, you know, to, to wear that mask and, and, to, and to do all the things that we're supposed to do, to stay isolated um, and six feet apart. Um, but, you know, because we can't be with others does not mean we cannot be with Christ. And so what I've experienced at Maze Lake is there, there seems to be this, this downward push. People are really searching inward um, for Christ because they, they can't get to the churches. They can't. Yeah, um, and so really spiritual direction really um, can help them. And, and at Maze Lake, you know, we have adapted all of our programs to serve the needs of people in this time, meaning... We offer um, spiritual direction via, via Zoom or even phone if somebody feels like, well, I can't do Zoom. Well, and this I is, now, along those lines, Mary, you talk about spiritual direction via Zoom, phone, Skype, so you can stay connected. See, I think you hit on something very important, and that is families are now talking about there may not be a get-together for Thanksgiving or mm-hmm. Christmas, which really brings about a depression and a sadness and a profound stress. Now, Please tell us then the spiritual direction and Maze Lake Ministries. First of all, for many people, they get they get intimidated. What is and what is not spiritual direction? Good question. Okay. Excellent question. Spiritual direction, first of all, is not counseling. Okay, um, it, it 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 because within spiritual direction, if our certified trained spiritual director um, catches or picks up on something that is a deeper dimension that would need counseling, we can certainly bring them to one of our counselors. But spiritual direction is basically um, a, a shared dialogue between um, a, the directee, which is the person, and the director. And um, what that what's going on is that the person. Um, that seeking help is um, is sharing the joys and struggles of their faith life, um, and through the the sacred listening, which is what a spiritual director does. They don't, it, you know, the the term is a, a misnomer. It's not direction. If you do this, this, and this, right. your life's going to be fine. No, it is about being able to help that person kind of unravel. Um, what's going on, whatever deep problem it is or situation or crisis, and realize that, that, that God is there. You know, he didn't, he didn't leave you. He didn't abandon you. And, and then that once that connection is made, that can be life-changing. That can infuse hope into someone's darkened world, and it can give them peace in the midst of these turbulent, turbulent times that we're in. Now, that's foundational for people in, in this time. Now, let me give you... An example, and maybe this might work for you programmatically. So we're talking about Thanksgiving, Christmas at our house. <clears throat> and my wife, I said, you know, you can't cook for 35 people. It's only yeah. going to be us. Right. Oh, but she gave me the list of people we're bringing meals to on Thanksgiving. Mm. And, and I thought, well, that's a different way of looking at a tradition. Yeah. Uh, and it's positive. And it's selfless in the sense of moving forward. I'm, t- I'm stuck in well, our 35 
relatives and friends are not coming right. and I'm going to be sitting there moping. And she's saying, no, get off your butt and here's what we're going to do. Right. So maybe there's a way with that spiritual direction. foundation, mm-hmm. direction to say, you know, maybe you do a Zoom with all these wonderful women who have ideas of how their holidays are going to look different this year. And maybe people mm-hmm. could learn from one another. Oh, right. absolutely. Yes. And I, you know, I absolutely love that idea um, of taking, you know, yes, whoever is the host family traditionally, you know, why not at least make the dessert or something mm-hmm. and take it to your relatives. Again, it's like Eucharist. You're breaking That's and you're great. sharing. That's a great, great analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for ways to salvage Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be going down the drain this year. For me. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, here's the thing. Lord. I always find with spiritual direction, the key question you always ask is, especially during these uh, COVID times, is where is God in all this? Mm-hmm. Where is God in your journey with this? Because we can say, oh, God, I'm so angry and this and that. But somehow the, the key question is in the spiritual journey is saying, this, this is, what we've, this is the, the, the hand we've been dealt right now coronavirus. Mm-hmm. This is not a punishment from God. I don't believe in that stuff. Nope. To put it that angle. So how do you respond to it in a very spiritually led way, faith-filled, but yet a lot of stress, a lot of tension, a lot of anxiety. You name that, but where is God in all this? You have a Saturday afternoon women's tea series coming up in October, and the program is entitled Embracing God's Presence in the Uncertainties of Life could be embracing God's presence in the uncertainties of these upcoming holidays. Yeah. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about that, Mary, and fill people in on how they can connect with this? Sure, Mark. Yes. Um, you know, again, in an effort to reach people, you know, where they are. Not everyone, um, you know, needs spiritual direction. Maybe they just need a little, you know, spirituality in their life or something. So we created this um, Saturday afternoon women's tea series, and it's online. And our next one is October 17th, and I'll be the presenter. And, um, you know, what we're going to do is it, literally it's just an hour long, and you pour your own cup of tea, <laughs> and then we, we sit and we, you know, we have conversation, as women just love to do. Um, and basically what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to look at, you know, um, the world events that we're experiencing. I mean, people are fearing being alone. They're fearing being with people. We're fearing yeah. our church is closing. Yeah. We're fearing um, the church is being open. It's just rampant. And so just to be able to find out and discover how we can um, maneuver these these turbulent waters of the virus so that, um, you know, when we finally do reach the end, you know, we actually have a deeper relationship with Christ through all of this. So we've got that one coming up. No, wait, time out. If someone wants to be part of this, how do they get involved for October 17th? They can go online and register at maeslakeministries.org. One more time. maeslakeministries.org. Do you have a phone number, too? Yep. Mm -hmm. They can call our office at 630-852-9000. The number one more time, Mary. 630-852-9000. Eight five two nine thousand. So it's Saturday afternoon, October seventeenth, one p.m. Central mm-hmm. Standard Time. Uh, embracing God's presence in the uncertainties of life, which is a beautiful topic. Right. And then, and so it. Uh, now that's your topic for October. Do you have a topic coming up in November? 
Well, in November, we um, have um, our fall conference featuring Father Ronald Rollheiser. Oh, he's, he's, he's phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. We are so blessed, and this is like our third year in a row having him, um, you know, because he so, so believes in what we do. But his event is Saturday, November 7th from 9 to noon, um, and Father Rollheiser is going to be, ta- and this is online, he's going to be talking about living with less fear in our lives, trusting in a wise prodigal and fully emphatic god it promises to be a, a fabulous program he and is as good as they get in terms yeah. of his writings his speaking mm-hmm. and so again saturday november 7th from nine until noon right online um, again if they want to register go they to can register at mazelakeministries.org or call our office 630-852-9000 that's great you know this is a little bit of an indulge indulgence on my end but my little granddaughter, who's five years old, um, a couple weeks ago, I, we were able to first hold our newest granddaughter, her sister, oh. who was who was at that point two months old. So we couldn't mm-hmm. hold her for two months. And my little five-year-old Lydia is sitting next to me, and I'm kind of rocking Nellie. And she says, you know what's happening here, Grandpa? I said, no, what? She said, she is realizing that you're her grandpa. Wow. Oh. And what I thought was, because I'm reflecting already on Christmas, I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. can we realize that we're still being held in this pandemic, Mm -hmm. that God is still holding us? Uh, Can we realize that? Maybe that's part of the spiritual formation, that that you're moving people toward a realization that that has not changed. Right. Oh, and even more so. I mean, it's, you know, I got that image of the Pieta when you were talking about that. Yes, Mm -hmm. we are being held. And if people can only realize that, um, and that I think sometimes if your if your faith life, um, for better lack of word, is uh, is weak or new or whatever, um, you know you're going to feel God when it's good. Oh, life is good and God is good. But what happens when the cross comes? When the virus comes? Where is God then? And it's even so much more important for us to be able to find Him and name Him and 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 turn to Him during these times. Because remember, it's, it's, we're really living the Paschal mystery. We are in Good yes. Friday now. Mm-hmm. We absolutely are. And, um, and, and Easter will be there for us. That new life will come. None of us know what it's going to look like. None of us know when it's going to be here. But that calls for trust. You know, Mary, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. You know, many times uh, a priest, a sister, a leader of faith will say, okay, as we pray, let us put ourselves in the presence of God. And yet, we, you can't say that because right. I always tell people, I will never say, okay, let's quiet down and put ourselves in the presence of God. I always say, let us be aware of the presence of God already in our midst. Because if I were to say, okay, let's put ourselves in the presence of God, has God been absent? Right. No. no. We're sometimes absent from God. Mm-hmm. God is never absent from us. So I, say, I never say, let us put ourselves in the presence of God. I will always say, let us be aware of the presence of God already in our midst every moment, mm-hmm. good times, hard times, pandemic times, non-pandemic times. And so yeah, these are now choppy waters, mm-hmm. but you know, all is gift, and yet the key is to give it away in this giftedness. And yeah, these are hard times. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how do you respond to these hard times with the help and grace of God? So I always say, God is with us, and God will see us through. Yeah. But, but it's, a, it's a tough road. There's no it question. Is. Stress in people's lives as the rector of the cathedral. You know, I'm, I'm finding that 
you know, many people are choosing not to come to Mass. They're still afraid, and with good reason. Mm -hmm. By way of age, higher risk, and also people need to take seriously this COVID virus, this COVID-19 virus. This is uh, this colder weather. It could only get worse, but we have to trust in God who's with us. For more information about Mays Lake Ministries, visit maeslakeministries.org. Time now for a break. And when we return, we will hear about how Catholic Charities ministers to those affected by the opioid crisis. Back in a moment. Hi, this is Bob Gilligan, Executive Director of the Catholic Conference of Illinois and current board chair of Aid for Women. I'm inviting you to a special event, a virtual fundraiser on October 7th at 7 p.m. This year's speaker will be Ben Watson, former NFL football player and Super Bowl champion. He's also the executive producer of a recently released film, Divided Hearts of America, a film that he hopes will change the nature of the debate about abortion in America. In addition, this year, we're honored to be presenting an award to Virginia McCaskey, owner of the Chicago Bears. For more information, go to www.aidforwomenlive.com. That's www.aidforwomenlive.com. Catholic Charities Divine Affair home tasting parties are going virtual. This year marks the 20th anniversary of Divine Affair, the elegant wine tasting event that benefits our self-sufficiency programs. Low-income single parents with dependent children are trying to break the cycle of welfare and poverty. Today, the need is greater than ever as the COVID-19 pandemic has left thousands of newly struggling families in need of immediate assistance. You can easily coordinate a virtual wine tasting and help Catholic Charities at the same time. Each guest will enjoy a sample wine kit that includes wine and a guide, all courtesy of Lewis Glenn's Wines. You can gather your friends and family for this fun event or incorporate a celebration for a birthday, anniversary, or engagement at the same time. To learn more about a virtual home tasting party and how you and your guests can win fabulous raffle prizes, call today at 773-756-6937. That's 773-756-6937. Cheers! You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Welcome back to Catholic Chicago Week in Review, a program that brings you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ, 7.50 a.m. And here's a reminder that you can also listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So subscribe today. We continue our program with a segment from The Voice of Charity. The opioid crisis is now being called the most significant public health and public safety crisis in Illinois. Co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy welcomed Siobhan Parker to discuss Catholic Charities' Transforming Lives program. Here's a highlight. 
Siobhan, can you give us an overview on what opioids are and why the number of opioid addictions has increased so much in recent years? Sure. Good morning. Um, Good morning. (laughs) So opiates are um, a class of drugs that reduces pain. And um, they include pain relievers by prescription from a doctor, um, such as oxycodone, which is better known um, on the streets as oxycotton, um, hydrocodone, which is um, also known as Vicodin, codeine and morph- morphine, and, and so many other drugs. And um, they also include a lethal drug, an illegal lethal drug called heroin. And um, there are other synthetic forms of this drug called fentanyl, and the list goes on and on. So um, in recent years, the studies have come out that um, more and more moms who are pregnant are um, addicted to these drugs and um, have a hard time trying to cope with pregnancy and the drug. And it's just due to so many different facets of, you know, loss of employment, family trauma, you name it, the list goes on and on. So um, this is a program that's definitely needed, especially in our communities of Chicago. Right. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine. I mean, I've I've heard you present before on Mm -hmm. this, the stress. I mean, the Mm -hmm. stress of having an, uh, an addiction problem. Um, the stress that may have caused the addiction, and then on top of that, the stress of becoming a parent. It it just seems like such a a perfect storm of mm-hmm. um, of issues to be dealing with. Um, tell us how transforming lives started, and um, how did we identify mothers and children as a as an area of need. So, um, my associate vice president, Laura Coover. Um, introduced me to this idea in 2018. There was a grant um, from the Illinois Department of um, Human Services, the Division of Substance Abuse Prevention and Recovery, also known as SUPER. They they were giving, um, they they had an RFP for a grant to help these moms, um, PPW, the acronyms is Pregnant and Parenting Women, who had opiate addictions because there was an increase in the study, as I mentioned earlier, about how women who are pregnant or parenting have these, have these addictions and there are not really many programs out there to support them. So um, her and I brainstormed and talked about how we can incorporate this program into the existing programs that I already manage at Catholic Charities, which which are our um, Rosen Adolescent Parenting Program mm-hmm. and our West Suburban Adolescent or our West Suburban Parenting Program. And so we designed the program to look like um, these already existing programs with this extra component of the opiate addiction. And so in 2018, I believe it was July, we were awarded the grant. Mm-hmm. And we were able to um, hire the most wonderful doulas, um, Allison Anderson and Tanya Harris, to um, join our team in order to combat this um, or try to combat and provide as much support as possible for these moms 
who are suffering from from this um, opiate addiction. Siobhan, I think, first off, you just gave us a great lesson and our listeners a great lesson in how things kind of expand, right? So how you already, we are already doing services and you've seen a way to connect that with other government partners and expand those services. Can you share with our listeners what you do? So on the ground, what happens as you help um, pregnant women and mothers? So our program focuses on moms who... um, have an opiate addiction who are either pregnant or parenting um, up until their children are um, 12 months of age. So we um, outreach to different community organizations and to different hospitals and substance abuse clinics, you name it, everywhere we can think of that could possibly service this um, this uh, sensitive population of moms. And when they enroll in our program, we have two doulas, Allison and Tanya, who are also certified peer recovery specialists, and they take a, a dual approach to um, assisting our moms through their addiction and through their pregnancy. So one portion of the program focuses on um, if the mom is pregnant, um, usually it's, it's how they are enrolled in our program, they are pregnant. Um, Rarely do we have a mom who has already had her baby, Hmm. but when she's pregnant, she comes into our program, and the doula portion of our program allows us to assist her with all things doula. So um, (laughs) comfort measures for the baby, comfort measures for mom, how to take care of herself during this time, Um, and then the other approach is the peer recovery support specialist. So um, that portion of it is helping her get the correct um, medication, uh, medic- medical assistant treatment for herself to ensure that her and her baby are on the right track for a healthy delivery. So any type of support that that may entail, so any type of resources, making sure she's on her medical assistant treatment plan, um, making sure that she is attending therapy if that's what's needed. Um, so just a variety of, of supports on on that second aspect so together dually um that is is basically what we do in the program and then postpartum we are um the doula portion of the program is we are helping mom to discover child development how is her baby going to develop Mm. um we are in her home visiting with her ensuring that she has everything that she needs to make sure that she has a successful uh, 12 months in our program, as well as taking care of the addiction side. So making sure that she's still attending her treatments. Again, if she's going to um, um, support groups or substance abuse treatment groups or inpatient or outpatient therapy or whatever it is that she needs, we take a dual approach pre and postpartum. A, a dual approach, meaning two fronts, and a doula approach, meaning a meaning a coach and a friend and a and a medically trained uh, person to go through this with you, right? So, so doula is non medical. Okay, it's more of a, a yeah, it's more of a emotional support okay. to the mom and an educational support to the mom. Got it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we talk about this a lot. Um, I've learned a lot about this from Marie that. Um, you know, a lot of 
good social work and good human services is about accompanying people, right? Like, mm-hmm. this, I, again, I go back to the stress of mm-hmm. being in this situation and to have someone who's making sure you're taking care of yourself, that you understand what's happening with your baby, that mm-hmm. you're, um, you know, in, in pregnancy, the, the, um, what you need to do to get to or maintain sobriety, that that is a, that is a full-time job. That's not, that's not showing up to a food pantry and getting a pack of food, which we also do. And we talk about a lot on this show, but so Mm -hmm, much mm -hmm. of Catholic charities work is deep, deep accompaniment and case management Mm -hmm. over a long period of time. And that's what really, to go back to the name of the program, um, transforms lives. Um, Can you share with us a little bit about the special health risks that that moms are facing with their um, opioid use situation as they're pregnant? Yeah, so um, we've experienced um, moms who've had the opiate addictions um, in the hospital while um, delivering um, to have more complications, um, such as a longer hospital stay, maybe they are losing a lot of blood, or mm. when the baby is born, the baby has uh, a low a long, a low birth rate. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the babies develop a little slower. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they may or, or may not have a birth defect. Um, the babies are born um, in withdrawal, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, cuddling that needs to happen um, to to kind of calm the baby. So there's so many factors in um, in in babies uh, that could be caused by the opiate use of the mom. And we want to educate when we are um, dealing with the mom's pre-pregnancy. So we are mm-hmm. telling them. These are the things that that could possibly happen um, with your baby, and we want you to have that connection with your child. So we're going to ensure that you are going to have the healthiest baby that you can because this is what the program was designed for. Mm -hmm. We're going to make sure that you're eating healthy. We're going to make sure that you are getting your prenatal exercise. We're going to make sure that your stress level is as down as we can get it, right? Um, in the situation that they're in, um, we're, we're making sure that we are kind of around the clock um, pr- taking care and providing for and really just caring for the uh, moms because so many times they express to us, I just really appreciate the fact that you call me and check on me and that you care about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we hear that a lot in our program. I think mm-hmm. that that connection that you matter to me and you mm-hmm. matter to us is so key. Um, it's yep. key for all of us. It's key for expectant moms. And it's definitely key for folks who are struggling with, with addiction. For more information about the services offered by Catholic Charities, and how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. That's catholiccharities.net. Our final segment today comes from the deacons. This month on Diaconia, a call to service, the deacons discussed the spiritual value of work. Let's listen in.
Hello to everyone and welcome to another broadcast of Diakonia, a call to service. Diakonia is the Greek word for service. It's also the root word for deacon. I am delighted to be here with you today. My name is Deacon Richard Hudzik, and I am privileged to serve the Archdiocese of Chicago as vicar for deacons. I also get to work and pray with the good people of Westchester, Illinois, at the parish known as Mary, Mother of Divine Grace. And as we've been doing during the course of the COVID-19 era, uh, joining us uh, via telephone, remotely phoning in from the the warm embrace of his home, I think you're at home, is uh, Associate Director of the Office, Deacon Dave Brensick, who is, uh, as I say, Associate Director and Deacon at Holy Guardian Angels Parish in Brookfield and LaGrange Park. Good day to you, David. Are you there? Yes. Good day, everyone. Okay. That's so far so good. So we'll keep, we'll keep, keep rolling with the good luck here. Uh, <laughs> what we're going to talk about today is, uh, is work. And we'll answer the uh, the complete questions about work. I'm being ironic here, but I, I do want to talk about work. It's theology. And to help us in this endeavor, we've invited uh, two deacons to, to join uh, Dave and me. And sitting across the uh, table in the studio is Deacon Dennis Roback. Uh, good day to you, Dennis. Good morning, Richard. Okay, I know you're here because I can see you. Uh, and remotely, we have joining us Deacon Jim Norman. Jim, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Okay, that's four for four. All right, we're ready to roll. We should maybe just hang it up now and, and call it a day. Uh, but uh, we will we will continue on. Uh, Dave, everybody knows you because our devoted listeners are, are always tuning in. So you're, you and I are old news. But uh, Dennis, uh, tell us uh, something about yourself, where you serve, what you do. Uh, parish, year of ordination, that kind of basic biographical stuff. Got it. Well, good to be here with you, Deacon Richard. Uh, again, Dennis Robeck. Uh, my home parish is St. Mary's in Evanston. Uh, I'm uh, born and bred out of Evanston. I was ordained in uh, 2006, and I would say up until uh, this year when we'll ordain 27 deacons, my class was the largest uh, of in recent times. So happy to be here. Uh, at the parish, um, my basic ministry is uh, RCIA um, and a parent formation for baptism. Uh, and I am the director in my uh my day job, my second job, I guess we'll, we'll call it. I am the director of vicariate operations in vicariate one, and I have served in the same capacity in vicariates three and five uh, over my 19 years here at the archdiocese. Uh, and I'm also privileged in my spare time uh, to serve as a master of ceremonies to uh, Bishop Joseph Perry. So a full schedule uh, when I'm not doing certain things. So happy to be here this great, morning. Great, great to have you. And uh, Jim, uh, tell us about yourself. Uh, Deacon Jim Norman, ordained in 2013 after a 33-year career in corporate America, um, celebrating five years with the Archdiocese of Chicago as Director of Vicariate Operations. One of Dennis's counterparts, my vicariate is Vicariate 6, working directly with Bishop Perry. Uh, my parish is on the west side of Chicago, Our Lady of Sorrows Basilica, uh, and my focus areas there are the Outreach Ministry and then the Mercy Ministry, which is a community, a com uh, community of homeless uh, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, that I spend time with. 
Okay, very good, very good. Now, I just, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but uh, I want to check with, with Dennis. But, uh, Jim, you told me before we got on the air that Vicariate 6 was better than Vicariate 1. Is that? <laughs> well, d- well, Dennis, Dennis always, always refers to Vicariate as the number one Vicariate, oh, okay, and, yeah. and it is Vicariate 1. Okay, uh, yeah. we, we do agree on that. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but beyond that, it's, yes, okay. And, of, right. course, and of course, we're located up in God's country, so it's wonderful territory. We, we may dispute on that issue, okay. figuring that everything is God's kingdom. You got it. I, I'm with you, Jim. All right, so here's my ambition for today, and I, I hope you'll join, uh, join me in this. But I want to talk about, about work. It's something that we spend an extraordinary amount of time on uh, and, and what, what work is. Um, if there's anything holy about work, or is work just some kind of drudgery that uh, we get through in order to live the real part of our life. What's uh, what's the significance, the moral significance of 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 work? Is there anything of eternal significance about work? Does this have anything to do with our salvation, or again, is it just something that we grit our teeth and and get through? And then finally, I want to talk about the uh, what a faith-filled perspective on work might be. What uh, how we can. Uh, for lack of a better word, how we can redeem work. And uh, rather than proceed one by one through these, I thought we'd just go crazy and try to do all three of them at the same time. And I think as we proceed through some, uh, some, some questions I have for, uh, for the four of us, um, I think gradually they'll emerge. Uh, my hope is that we'll have emerged some, some notion as to uh, the fact that, that work is indeed sacred and it is salvific. So I'm going to ask our two guests, uh, Dennis and Jim, uh, and, and with due, due regard for the fact that maybe your, uh, your, your, your employers are listening in, but um, if you guys won the lottery today, would you quit work tomorrow? Why or why not? Uh, probably not. If uh, if you find yourself uh, becoming idle, uh, I think you grow old a lot faster. But, I, you know, I look at it uh, that work provides uh, an individual with a sense of uh, perhaps personal identity and gives an individual a sense of purpose. And so, uh, you know, if, if you devoid yourself of, of that, of the interactions of, of your f- uh, fellow employees or whatever you, situations you find yourself in, I think there's a, a, a certain piece that is uh, missing there. And again, I think work, uh, yes, in some circumstances can be a drudgery, but in others, I think it is um, doing God's work. We are called uh, to embrace it. Uh, God values our work. And so I think it's very important that, you know, we look at it from from that perspective. Okay, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Jim, uh, are you going to uh, pack your bags and head for the Bahamas or uh, are you going to stick around and, and be Devo, Devo for a Vicariate 6 when you win the lottery? Yeah, well, actually, I've been very fortunate and blessed after a 33-year career in early retirement. I actually failed retirement the first time okay. uh, and then signed up to be uh, Director of Vicariate Operations with the Archdiocese of Chicago. I agree. Like Dennis, um, I think Victor Frankel kind of captured it best when he said that, you know, man's search for meaning can be found in three places, work, experience, and relationships. So we certainly find meaning in our work. Mm -hmm. And then I think for Christians, we also find purpose in our work. 
um, kind of living out God's call using our gifts and talents. So if I won the lottery, I would continue to work. It would allow me to continue to find meaning and purpose and build God's kingdom and hopefully um, do more with the funds that come in for those less fortunate. And, and donate your paycheck back to the archdiocese. That's a beautiful thing, Jim. Well, maybe not to the diocese, okay. but, okay. <laughs> but to, to other certainly worthy causes. Beautiful. beautiful. And well, Dave, doesn't it come down, then, you think? Dave, Dave, I'm not even going to. Dave, I'm not even going to ask you that question because I know that you have the ideal job, and this sort of thing would never enter your your head. But that's uh, true. But go I ahead. Mean, I just it, I just talked it come down over to the attitude a person has towards their work. If it, if they feel that they're doing something meaningful. Sure, sure. I th- I think it does, and uh, we're going to be uh, headed off to a break shortly, and when we. When we come back, I, I, I do want to pursue that. And l- let me set it up before we do go. Uh, and Dave, what you raise is a question I wanted to get to. And that, a number of years ago, I had written a, uh, a, a master's project on uh, the meaning of work, and I was waxing eloquent about it and uh, how great work is. And in the audience of a presentation I had was a married old sister who uh, had long years of experience in Central America. And she asked me this question about, you know, that's, that's great uh, what you say about work, but what about the man who makes his living by selling chiclets or sticks of gum or little trinkets uh, on the streets in Honduras? Um, is that work meaningful? Can he hope to have that be creative? And it, it, it kind of stopped me. Um, and so I think all four of us are, are you know, we're, we're blessed to have these these really great jobs where we do have the ability to be creative, but what do we say to our parishioners, our our fellow Christians, our fellow companions on this journey through life who who don't have that kind of job, where it's it's physically demanding or psychologically, uh, you know, just just takes it out of you? What 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 do we say to those people about the meaningfulness of work? Any ideas out there? I I would say that uh, no matter. W- where life takes you, uh, I think it's important that our work experiences, whether it's in the corporate world or as uh, you've said, uh, Richard, uh, selling chiclets uh, on the street, I think, you know, our work experience, and I'm going to call that work because, again, that is, uh, you know, that's subsistence to, to that individual and perhaps his family, but it's it gives a person some personal identity, a purpose, the relationships with perhaps his his own faith. And no matter how minimal uh, the work might be, God values our work, and we are all called to, to embrace it, whatever that might be. And so I think it's important, whether you're up there in the corporate offices or there on the streets, uh, again, the dignity of the individual whoever or whatever that individual is doing. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Polevision for televising our Polish-language Mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m. I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. 
You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.